Welcome back to The New Normal. This is episode 19. We have a special guest on this episode, one of my good friends. We go way back from our days in the U.S. Army, Mr. Gino Greco. We talk about practical suburban prepping, his transition from soldier to civilian, prepping for current events, and we also dive into a very sensitive topic, so be advised. We do talk about a school shooting that happened at his son's school and the effects that that had on him and also his family. We hope you enjoy this episode. We are supported by Mammoth Fuel. Mammoth Fuel Bars were created with people like you in mind using only natural ingredients and zero artificial junk. We took no shortcuts in developing this highly functional and portable fuel bar. What are the benefits, you may ask? Portable on-the-go fuel, post-workout recovery, boost cognitive function, aids in weight loss, anti-inflammatory, and low sugar. With 13 grams of protein and only 4 net carbs, Mammoth Fuel is the perfect meal, snack, and energy bar where you'd like to go. Try Mammoth Fuel at mammothfuel.com. Welcome to the new normal, where we're talking current events, finances, philosophy, preparedness, and more. My name is Sal, and with me as always is my good friend, Quentin. Each week we dive into those various topics and bring you an inspiring person or message to navigate the world with a positive mindset in this new normal. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now, here we go. We are joined <laughs> by a special guest today, a good friend of mine. He actually served with me uh, in the U.S. Army. If my voice sounds a little muffled, I'm being extra protective today. Even though we're not in the same room, we're, we're definitely going to comply with our mask orders that have been... Uh, Should I put on my gas mask? You might want to get your gas mask. You never know. I don't know what you had for dinner, but here, here it is. <laughs> oh, nope. I'm taking that off. We're not going to, we're not going to try to make a, a, a hypoxia live video. <laughs> so we are joined by my good friend, Gino Greco. Uh, I know him as big Sarge. We used to go way back uh, in the United States army. A uh, good friend of mine. We've kept in touch over the years and he joins us on the show today to talk about some things that uh, have been on my mind. I know they've been on Quentin's mind, and we're just going to dive right into it. If if you're watching us on Facebook Live, you can tell we're taking this very seriously tonight. And tonight's topic is about practical suburban prepping from soldiers it's the to mind civilians. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, you have I, no I, idea what that means. Nobody does. It's it's serious. It, it may have been a, a what is that a, a, a situation of. Um, dyslexia right instead of 2012 it's 2021 right. yeah. yeah do they call so, that like dis apocalypsia like when you get that screwed up how does that work i don't know maybe they were wearing masks for too long <laughs> yes anyways so our our topic tonight is practical suburban prepping from soldiers to civilians preparing in current events it's a little bit of a mouthful i want to welcome to the show my good friend gino how are you today Oh man, I can't complain. Had a good weekend. That's awesome. And uh, just making it through our uh, quarantine 2.0, I guess. Yep. If if you're joining us today is uh, June 28th. Uh, we are all from Texas, and our governor has rolled us back to phase two of phase the, one coming. 
phase one most likely coming after 4th of July. Um, they're going to allow us to celebrate our freedoms just long enough before they lock us back down. Um, which, which is, again, if you're watching on Facebook Live, we want to thank you for, for joining us. We've got a few viewers that I can see right now. Um, we're taking this very seriously. Um, this isn't a, an Al-Qaeda video. We are here to talk about <laughs> the, the most serious of topics, which is being prepared. So, Gino, I want to thank you again for joining us. Um, I, I want to kind of take the audience a little bit back. Tell, tell me a little bit about your background, how long you served in the Army, what, what your experience was, any tours that you've been on, um, and then we'll get into kind of your transition into civilianhood. So, welcome to the show, Gino. Thank you, thank you. Um, yeah, I uh, went to the Army back in 96, uh, about the time that they were drawing down. So it was a very interesting period. Um, almost like corporate America takes you nowadays where you're uh, understaffed and overworked. So I was prepared for the civilian world by, uh, thanks to uh, President Clinton. But uh, great times. I served uh, in Fort Bragg for uh, seven years. Uh, Part-time that was with 82nd Airborne, and uh, then I was with the little aviation group, uh, 3rd of 229, uh, which actually got disbanded, but great group. Uh, after that, I met you and uh, the reserves uh, in the great 340th chemical, and I had a great time. Black dragons. Yeah, man, black dragons. It a uh, very different world. Very different uh, world. Interesting. I remember uh, I had a maroon beret when I showed up. Yeah, you did. And uh, you guys all made a lot of fun out of me for it, but that's all I had. And uh, it was a good time. Uh, other than that, in the Army, I was uh, a heavy wheel mechanic. That's what I started out as, uh, which as you gain rank, you become a light wheel mechanic, then you go into uh, the operations side. So. Uh, when I got out of the military, I went to um, be a mechanic, diesel mechanic. And for most of my career, it went from mechanic and into management, kind of parlayed that from being a soldier, being a sergeant and the leadership side of life. And here recently, I just changed careers. It's been kind of crazy um, at 44 years old, uh, jumping out of management and going into uh the oil field world, or I should say the pipelining world. Uh, so now I'm just a peon and I'm loving life. What got you into, into the oil field, you know, coming out of the, the mechanic work and, and getting into oil field? Why, why did you choose, choose that route? Uh, you know, my, my health was one, managing people. Um, it's an interesting world in the civilian life. Um, when you got to, Stop, step back and you don't care about uh, employees as much as you would your soldiers and you worry about more for profit. Mm. And uh, that might sound horrible, but it's just the reality of being in the civilian world. Um, and it just takes your toll after a while. Um, almost 20 years of being a leader, I was offered an excellent opportunity, uh, quite a bit more money, and uh, able to just do reports and finance side of life. And I'm loving it. That's awesome. So 
transitioning from from soldier to civilian can you talk to me a little bit about that what it was like for you having served so long and being in an airborne division where it's a little bit more high speed low drag um what what was that transition like for for you personally with with your family how did you come out of active duty into the reserves and then finally into just full-time civilian life with with a full-time job uh getting out of active duty with being the high-speed environment was absolutely, uh, it was hard on me. It, it was, it, I probably went through six or seven jobs in the first four years, mm. uh, trying to find my place there. That sense of being and, and having a purpose wasn't there. Um, and I eventually landed with a small company out of Houston, um, trash business, uh, WCA. Uh, they actually had been founded by the gentleman that started BFI back in the 60s, and he had sold out to uh, Allied Waste. Small family kind of oriented group, and it just, uh, I stepped right in, had my first shop where I was running it in the civilian world, and uh, I just was able to grow with the company. It's a great experience. It kind of gave me my footing again that I had a sense of purpose. Um, because it was hard. It, it really was trying to deal with people that, um, and this might, I'm, I don't want to say, I'm, I don't want to sound like I'm bashing civilian life, but, you know, you get, actually, it's a great, uh, I saw something the other day or yesterday about Trump signing a, uh, that the government needs to uh, focus on people with job skills and not degrees. Yep. Um, and for me, this, that's all I had was my skill, the mm. skill set of being a mechanic, the skill set of being a leader, and being able to go into a company that you had leadership that was there and cared about you. And I'm not going to say we didn't care about profit, but you had a voice. And it was it was true leadership that helped me get back on track to to feel whole again, I guess. Right. What what would you say the hardest part was though, uh, as far as coming out of the military? Was it just the dealing with people side of it? Was it the scheduling and routine? You didn't have someone to tell you what to do, tell you how to think. You know what what was what was one of the hardest things that you you experienced coming out of the active duty? Uh schedule. No, I'm I'm a pretty driven guy. That's not a problem. It was the people. My 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 bosses. Uh, the way you talk to people, you know, mm. in, in the military, you can get away with a little more. Yeah, you can. Uh, uh, you know, it's uh, for me, though, it was it was just the loss of purpose, the mm. loss of not having your brothers around you that, you know, you you had that camaraderie. Mm. And it really was just the the whole. There wasn't a mission. You get out and go to work and you fix stuff. You you. It just was different. Yeah. It wasn't as exciting. The mundane monotony of it. Yeah. You know, and, and I was a new father. Uh, that was interesting. You know, it's uh, you go from living a free life to having kids and it. Uh, and as I'm struggling, it, it was it was hard to grasp all of it. So I was lost for a couple of years, man. It, right. it really was. And 
And then at some point, um, I had a couple of years off from the military. And uh, one day I decided I wanted to go to the reserves. And that started my journey there and uh, kind of dual role playing. Um, and that was at the, uh, now I was, I was in the reserves a little before I got in uh, with WCA. But before that, uh, once I got in the reserves, I, I kind of got back to the having some purpose, even though I only saw you guys, you know, once a month. And, One week in a month, two weeks out of the year. <laughs> yeah, you know, it was great. It was great to be back in, in the swing. And um, Is that what you would attribute really finding finding the purpose was getting back into some sort of brotherhood, some sort of... Um, you know, a, elite team of, of individuals versus the civilian life. Is that what you credit to re, you know, reinvigorating that purpose? For sure, man. Um, I think some of it was the mentorship, believe it or not. Um, you missed that. You missed grabbing a hold of, of young soldiers and um, being able to teach them what you've learned. And, but just not, not just your job, right? you had which is leading us into the 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 prepping side of life your first day uh the whole nine yards of the of soldier skills um that was a big part of it you know that just it gives you back to that that purpose what are some of the skills that you you took out of being in the military and transitioned that easily into the civilian life leadership for sure um being able to make decisions without um, any type of uh, delay. Mm. It was just, sorry, my dog's uh, he's in here messing with me. No uh, yeah, a big German shepherd puppy. Um, but yeah, you know, just being able to make decisions without having to uh, have a delay on it. And, and that's one of the things that I've, I've noticed in the civilian life is it's crippling to have when you need to make a decision to be a leader, um, it's just not there. There's, there's a lot of guys that going back to the college degree, I think it's great if you can afford it and you can get a college degree, do it. Don't do it in something like basket weaving, obviously, but mm. get a skill. You know, that was one of the reasons I went into the Army as a, as a heavy wheel mechanic. Always wanted to have a trade to fall back on. Um, but, yeah, it just uh, that's another thing. You know, I had a trade. At a trade that you're always going to need trash trucks, you're always going to need ambulances, you're always going to need cars. Well, unless we have an EMP, but uh, yeah, you know, the military overall, it just I think it made me a better person because you know I was listening to your podcast the other day. Um, I grew up same thing. My dad, great guy, but he was an alcoholic, and uh, in my formative years, from eighteen to or eight to sixteen. He was in present. So my grandpa, he was a World War II Marine, tough old dude, and he really taught me a lot. And so, you know, the military, he prepped me. Uh, he prepped me for the military, and I'm appreciative of it. But, you know, that was one of the things he always talked to me about was, what are you going to do? What's your skill set? You're going to just go in and be an in infantry. What are you going to do when you get out? Um, so that was always on my mind, and that was why I went to heavy wheel mechanic. When it comes to to the civilian side of things, what are you seeing that's that's lacking 
having spent so much time in, in the military, what do you see lacking in civilian leadership? You know, you have, you have podcasts like Jocko Wilnick's podcast, and he goes out there with Echelon Front and actually coaches and consults these high-level CEOs on, on how to you know, take extreme ownership and how to be good leaders. Um, and those are great programs to have for the civilian world. What would you say to civilian leadership now that, that you feel is lacking from what you experienced in the military that could potentially help them run a tighter ship, especially in, in these quote unquote uncertain times? What would you uh, be doing now as a military leader to keep your crew in line, to keep your people motivated, to make sure that they're you know, showing up on time and, and not you know, just jacking around, uh, getting drunk because they think the world's about to end? Uh, you know, professional development, I think, um, for instance, in the mechanic world, you, one or two ways, you either just come up from working in the wash rack at the equipment company you're working from, and they give you a chance by starting to change oil, and you get on the job training as you go. Um, or you go out of, go into the military, you get your military training, and I guess the third one would be is like a universal tech, where you go into a trade school become a mechanic and the problem is is uh right now you take your car to get an oil change most cars nowadays you can't even change you can't even put the reset light unless you've got a scanner you know and so there's a lot of professional development that just doesn't happen um and not only is a so say in in mechanic world um i know i've got a good mechanic that exhibits that he's strong uh willed he is at work every day you you know you don't have to tell him what to do a hundred times he's just there he's a good solid guy and you need leaders though so how do you develop that um there's nothing there there a lot of companies don't have a leadership in place um kind of right seat ride is what we call it when we were deployed right where you go in and learn what's going on before you take over the reins and so you have to have um, training set in place that not only is for the technical side, but also for the leadership side. Um, even simple things like a, a, a guy that has never uh, used Microsoft Excel, you know, or Microsoft Word, or how to really talk in an email. Um, don't reply all or, you know, please God, that's like the, the nail in the coffin. For sure. What are you, what are you doing now? Not, not to get into your specifics of, you know, your prepping uh, stash and, and everything you've got um, hidden away, but what, what are you, what are you doing right now to get yourself mentally, physically prepared um, for what a lot of people, depending on what news agency or what independent journalists you're following, the, the word civil war is being thrown out there quite a bit. So assuming the worst, what are some of the things that you've been doing to prepare your, yourself, your family, um, and then just everyone around you as a leader? What are you doing to you know, encourage people to be prepared? Well, on top of that, you've got all the COVID stuff as well. So you know, you've got to look at your health. Um, first and foremost, let's hope to God that we don't ever see a civil war. Um, but yeah, uh, so let me back up. When I got out of the army, the reserves, I got sick. And um, 
I have half of thyroid now, so I, I have issues at times with my weight and, and, and dealing with the thyroid. So I, I go on meds and I don't. And uh, that's one of the things with all this that's come, come out is that uh, I've changed my eating. I've started the uh, intermittent fasting. Um, started just doing an hour a day of, of something physical, uh, even when I'm tired. Made sure all your, my vitamins, uh, my medicine I'm taking, uh, I make sure that it, it happens every day and I'm not being lazy about it. I think a lot of it is um, getting back to the basics and setting a routine for myself, regardless of what, how much I'm at work or dealing with the kids, because I am a single parent. So it's a, you know, it's a juggling act. Um, going to the rifle range or going and shooting, making sure you know how to clean your weapons, um, purchasing ammo, purchasing, making sure you have a weapon. You know, there's a lot of people that are scared of guns. Um, I've been a big advocate in, in getting your license to carry. Um, quite a few people hit me up and, and ask me what to do. I've even uh, a friend that lives in Indiana. I helped her uh, get the roadmap to getting hers. And so she signed up and waiting on her background checks now. Uh, you know, we can go. So I live in a suburb in, in a little town. Um, most of the town is uh, 10 acres of land with a water well. Well, here at my house, we are on city water. And so I have to prep a little different. Now we'll say I have a buddy that uh, his house, if, if we got to fall back to, he's got a water well and a nice old generator and we can have water because first and foremost out of everything, um, that's what we need. You know, here here in Houston and, and on the coast, we're already somewhat preppers because of hurricane season. Um, you know, which by the way, we're in, in the start of it. Yeah. So let's throw that onto the mix. Yeah, we got COVID, we've got looting and riots, we've got shutdowns, uh, we've got potential uh, unrest. Uh, I'm seeing stories now where bars um, are just going against the the orders, right? So this this phase two rollback uh, essentially closed all 51% bars. Um, any, any bar that derives 51% of its profits um, had to shut down. And they're now defying that order and staying open and saying, you, you just, you can't do this to us again. Um, and, and I understand that. I, I completely understand that from, from an economical standpoint. Now, regardless of the business model that you're in to, sh to be shut down for a second time within a few months, I, I can tell that there's a lot of pissed off people out there. Well, and, and so you close us down. We, hurt on every aspect you have people that get a twelve hundred dollar check as a i don't even want to get into that on what i would think it would be called but a bribe money i don't know because i don't it's it's not enough for anything no not at all especially not for three months potentially at the time it was supposed to be this will last you for three to six months yeah, yeah. right and then and then you turn around and uh you start letting everything kind of ease up and all of a sudden you've got in Houston 60,000 protesters, um, which now I, I, are we seeing the result of that with the oh, no, swinging? Of course not. No, it's, it's parties and getting your haircut. That's to blame. It's tubing. It's, it's all the tubing. 
Man, that tinfoil Kevlar like really screwed up my hair. <laughs> That's really attractive. Well, it's a good thing only Facebook Live is, is seeing that our, our podcasters aren't aren't going to be able to see that. But hey, if you want to go over to the new normal Facebook, you can check out the replay. Um, <laughs> in terms of in terms of suburban prepping, what are some of the practical things that you would get someone um, started with? Right. So this is you know John Doe who who makes fun of preppers, but now is starting to look at the world around him and say, Ooh, maybe I should uh, need a Hawaiian shirt. Need a tinfoil Kevlar, Kevlar you know, <laughs> gas mask, a toilet paper bunker. Obviously, if you didn't go and buy all the toilet paper you could, again, do you even prep, bro? Like, what is this? That Clorox wipes. Yes. Yeah. The toilet paper is gone again in our in our local Walmart. From from what I've been hearing, which is great. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's it's here too. Uh, the first thing will be food and water, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, um, what are some water, proper foods uh, that you would recommend? Canned meat, uh, fruit and veggies with uh, water in it, because uh, it could always be a secondary hydration. Um, MREs, uh, which right now you can get some great deals out there, believe it or not, they're back in stock. I just got a, a couple 12 packs. Mm, 3,000 um, calories of just deliciousness. Ah, you know, uh, it is what it is, though. It's better than going going hungry because what happens exactly. after kids miss a couple of meals, right? What do you think people are going to, the way they're going to behave? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the constipation that MREs induce actually help you to feel fuller longer when you eat some more. <laughs> salt, too. Salt. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, um, you know, canned goods, if you don't have the ability to can, and you're not uh, making beef jerky and salting your uh, food, then canned goods is the way to go. And what I always tell people is, uh, especially if you haven't um, been working and you don't have a lot of extra money, you know, go to the store and five to 10 bucks every time you go. Um, Buy a couple of things. It doesn't have to be in mass, right? And before long, you will have enough. Um, right now, I have about six months worth of food for each of us. And don't forget your animals. Right. Um, you know, and of course, here in, in with an HOA, I can't raise chickens or anything. But a friend of mine uh, hit me up today and said, what about rabbits? Um, rabbits are considered livestock. So that's actually something I'm going to look into in my HOA. And maybe I'll get into raising rabbits. Well, especially if you're in a, in a garage setting, you you could probably get away with that. I mean, they're common household pets at this point. But if you get some, uh, you know, some meat rabbits that are readily available, um, you can keep them in some elevated cages, collect the, the urine and the poop, and you can use that for gardening. You can use that for so many different purposes. Immediately. It doesn't have to compost. Yep. It's, it's, it can go just directly on your garden. So talk to me. Uh, so Quentin and I both live out in, in rural America, and, and we're very fortunate and blessed and, and privileged, if you will, in, in that capacity. Um, but if I'm, not, yes, if, I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, even with an HOA, you can have chickens. You just can't have a rooster. Am I correct in that? In mine, you cannot. You cannot uh, at nothing, all. Okay. Nothing that's labeled as livestock. Okay. Um, and that's where the, the rabbit you can always deal, tell them, they are. 
You can always tell them that they identify as something else. Hey, you're on to something. <laughs> I mean, you use identity politics against them. Right. Let me ask you something. Uh, what would you do if your water well goes out? So we're not, we're actually on a, a co-op water as well. Um, so we're not on city water uh, for, for our area. We're on co-op water. And that is tapped into a well, um, a, a very deep one, obviously. Um, but we also have a creek on our property, uh, just on our property line. Um, so push come to shove, you know, we have a Berkey water filter. We have different methods of water filtration. My father-in-law, who, who's also a, a prepper minded individual created these, um, uh, like five gallon, uh, sand filters with rock and coal and a whole bunch of other things layered on top of each other. So it's, it's almost like a homemade, or I mean, it is a homemade DIY water filter, uh, we have life straws as well that we keep in our bug out bag. Um, and that's honestly something that I didn't think I was going to need when we moved out of the city. When we were in the city, I had a bug out bag. My wife had a bug out bag. All the kids had a bug out bag. Now we have a bug in bag, right? So things that we keep that we want to make sure that we have readily available. And like you said, when we go to the store, you know, we pick up a few extra things. We can put it in that bag if we need to. Um, we have a whole shelf shelving system in in my office that's just full of canned goods right now. So we have a we have our own little version of a victory garden where we have squash and zucchini and potatoes, tomatoes, peanuts. Even um, we grew corn last season, and those are all things that we've been canning and setting back. We've been doing a little bit more in mass. We also raise goats, so we have a lot of milk on hand at any given time. Um, we're starting to approach breeding season, so we know that we'll have potentially, if things get really bad, we'll have a source of meat from not only our goats, from, from our sheep as well. Um, but that milk obviously can be turned into other things. My wife is very big into creating soaps, so we, ha we haven't bought soap from the store in years because we have all of these bars of goat milk soap. And then we also have uh, cheese. My wife has gotten into cheese uh, making. Uh, we have a big uh, book of artisan cheese making, like using practical cultures and practical skills versus these long drawn out scientific methods. Like how were people making cheese before they had the internet and, and had a blog to tell them what to do, right? So we wanted to go back to that. And, and the goal has been for us when we moved out of the city was to be as self-sustainable as possible understanding that there's no true off-grid like you and i could not be having this conversation if i was truly quote-unquote off-grid um you know not having connection to the internet not having connection to to the outside world i mean you'd have to be in the appalachians in a log cabin doing nothing to be truly off-grid in my opinion um so we we wanted to be as self-sustaining as possible with making as few trips. So we were already socially distancing <laughs> before it was cool, right? So we wanted to make as few trips into town as possible to get the essentials, the things that we couldn't either grow or raise ourselves. I hope that answers your question. I'm in the same situation as Sal. And uh, if I had to, I would just get water out of the creek. Uh, I will say that I'm probably going to have a well dug pretty soon. Um, and if the power goes out, you, there's solar pump jacks, depending on the depth you're going to or even hand. But like I, one thing that anybody can do who has a well is, uh, is simply make a bullet bucket. And uh, if you don't know what that is, it's a, it's a piece of PVC with a flap that, uh, you know, actuates 
it towards the inside. So when it drops down in the water, it, the water flows through the pipe and it, it pushes the valve, the little, and, uh, then as you're pulling up, you know, gravity closes the valve and you can get uh, not a whole lot of water every time. Dep- well, it depends on the diameter, the inner diameter of your, your pipe, but you could get a lot of water out of it, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I would just do the same thing. I'm kind of in a similar situation to Sal just in general. And, um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm actually doing pretty good. I don't want to go into a bunch of detail about my preps, but, uh, uh, I'm not terribly worried about this whole thing. Uh, and you know, if you live in the city, something to consider is if you're, if your HOA allows it, uh, seriously think about installing rain barrels. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we have plenty of rainfall in, in this part of the country, depending on where you're at, your, your rain catchment system is going to vary. You might have to do some sort of solar distillation device or, you know, uh, do capture bags around plants or something. But, uh, you know, there's always a way to get water generally. You just either have to filter it or, uh, you know, find a way to contain it. But, uh, yeah, I guess water's not a, not a huge concern for me. And then the food, I, I seriously have a box sitting next to me with about like 80 pounds of potatoes. So, and, and I'm not even going to eat those. I'm just seriously <laughs> using, I'm about to refrigerate all of them and they're about to become a giant potato plot for the fall. But you're going to say vodka. Oh, uh, that's, I got, so I got some juniper trees and, uh, I'm going to make some gin. Nice. I think it's going to be one of my next projects. I've done vodka. I've done potato vodka. I've never done gin. And so I think my, my efforts are going to go towards gin production this time. Yeah. Even in a suburban setting when, when we were in Houston, I mean, there's just some practical tools and practical things that you could be doing right this very second, right. Instead of throwing out that bad lettuce that you bought three weeks ago that you didn't eat because you didn't budget and hint, nudge, nudge, you can take that and, and create a composting bucket, right. Create a composting corner of your back garden and learn about how to turn that every few days, how to water it down and start, doing a garden. That was one, one of the positive things that I saw in this quote unquote new normal. And if you've been listening to the show long enough, you understand that new normal for us is about a positive mindset and turning negative things into these new normal positive things. And one of the biggest things that I saw were people uh, starting their gardens, learning about gardening. Um, some of the negative side of that, unfortunately, was like tractor supply has zero fencing right now. We had to drive to the next town over, over the bridge and, you know, 45 minute drive just to get one roll of hardware cloth, right? Because our our local tractor supply was just completely out. And for the last six weeks, as as we go in there, you know, once a week to get food for the goats, I'll ask them, you know, how, how's everything going? How are you, you, know, you guys staying busy? And the answer is just like, we can't keep up. Like ever since this started, people are just hoarding uh, feed, right? So feed for their cows, feed for their goats, feed for their horses. And to, to Gino's point, yeah, they're, they're thinking about their animals. That's their livelihood in this area as it is. You know, some people are, are raising hogs. Some people are raising horses. So you got to think of not only yourself, but the animals that you're going to be taking care of. And, and I would imagine a suburban setting, you're not obviously going to have to worry about livestock, but you know, who's going to take care of Fido if, if you, know, you can't get into town because roads are shut down because of more riots or roads are just shut down completely because 
you know, they're, they're taking Brett Weinstein's advice and saying, we're going to lock everything down for six to eight hard weeks and everything's done. And I want to get your take on that, guys, because I know I think everyone's at this point, at least on this conversation, has heard that podcast with Joe Rogan. If you haven't, go check it out. Brett Weinstein was was on that episode, and he he alluded to the fact that yeah, if yeah. we had if we had it to do over, the solution would have been a very hard and uncomfortable six week lockdown of just absolute isolation and absolute lockdown. And, and Quentin, you and I have talked about this quite a bit, that if we really wanted to have solved this problem, the government should yeah. have stepped in and handed out food, had distribution points, everything was a level playing field, Walmart, Lowe's, Home Depot, everything is closed. I want to get you guys take on that. Yeah, I, I, I made this prediction literally at the beginning of the podcast. I, I told people, I said, you know, demanding to go be dependent on big box every day because it's most people's jobs in the service industry, as opposed to being dependent on the government bureaucracy for a short period of time and getting the benefits you've paid for. They initiated continuation of government protocol. They, they set their path to uh, fulfill the needs of the government come hell or high water. So, you know, they, they put people in Cheyenne mountain unprecedented for what they did. They locked people in Cheyenne mountain. They locked people in Mount weather and locked people in Raven rock. Those are the facilities we know about, you know, they knew exactly what the score was back in, you know, late January when they did this, you know, and, and those people got sealed in these vaults and said goodbye to their family potentially forever. So they knew that this had the potential to completely wreck the country and they took the steps necessary to do it. Now, in continuation of government, I talked about in previous episodes, civil defense rations, those were manufactured forever. That when they made those back during the Cuban Missile Crisis and the bomber gap and all of that previously, they manufactured those rations to last forever. And they gave them out to people left and right before there was ever even a lockdown. And we have tons of food supplies. We have strategic grain reserves. We have strategic milk reserves. We have strategic reserves for all types of food. We pay for it every year. It comes out of your taxes. We pay for that, and we couldn't get it. We couldn't get it. We, we couldn't stomach six hard weeks of everything shut down except for critical infrastructure. And I said, and on the program, I said, because we're not willing to do this, it will come back. And we talked to Myron Bauman about it not long after that, and we said that this exact same thing would occur where they would – have a soft reopen, then a full reopen. Second wave would come. It would be a disaster that would take everybody off of unemployment insurance. It would take everybody off of government benefits and put them back on uh, their, their company's dime. And then, you know, there would be another shutdown and it would create a disaster where, you know, companies would basically, their insurance companies that provided unemployment insurance would just go bankrupt. And it would put it off on the private banking sector uh, to provide for stability for the American household, which is a complete disaster. That's a huge red flag because we pay for this stuff already. So if that's the case, that means our government is completely broken. It, it's, it's almost lost complete legitimacy. If it can't provide the things that we pay for, then what do we even have this? What, what is the point of this at this point? I, I, I don't know, you know? So that's, that's my take on it. I, I, I cannot believe we're in this situation. It was totally preventable. I don't care if you think that this isn't, that bad, or if this is like the worst thing in the world. And we kind of made fun of that tonight, you know, and, but the truth of the matter is it's a, it's a plus one on the system, right? So our system is just geared up 
for all of the threats that we already have that are normal threats. They occur every day. Influenza, you know, uh, we have cancer, heart disease, diabetes, you know, car wrecks, accidents. Our system's geared up for that. We already know how much preparedness we need to take care of day-to-day life in the United States. So, you know, this puts a serious strain on the hospital system like a weapon of mass destruction. Okay, so it's a serious plus one because whether you believe in this thing being serious or not, having 1% of your population go to the ICU or 2% or 3%, it doesn't kill that many people, but a significant percent of your population will end up in the ICU. That's overwhelming and it'll lead to a ton of deaths unnecessarily. It doesn't have to be that bad. If everyone got sick and had to go to the hospital because of the flu, which, which is actually possible, it would be really bad. But we, flu's endemic now. We don't have a flu season. Flu occurs all year, and now we have this. So it's a problem. Yeah, I think one of my concerns is the, you know, we were deemed essential workers. And um, I just had to take COVID test um, Thursday, which I came back negative. But out of a crew of 40 guys, we had five of them come back positive. Um, So what happens, you know, right now, yeah, we have the second wave is what it appears. Uh, My question is, and I'm not a doctor, I'm not gonna claim to be a nurse or anything. Um, It's the summertime. Are these cases not so bad? We have people that have been out of work, they've been missing mortgage notes and you know car notes they get back to work say we get through this second wave and they get back on their feet come october and what it comes back again what happens uh now now the weather starts turning and Mm -hmm. when does flu season kick in right around that time you know and that's i'm looking at right now uh Excuse my language. It's a shit show. Yeah, we've got this. Uh, the Everything riots, just keeps you know, adding the, up, though. Everything just keeps stacking yeah. on top of each other. And and we've talked about this on previous episodes, where we're in this two week cycle of just what Gino just said—a shit show, right? So two weeks of people you know, don't even remember all the things we've been through at this. Point. We've we've forgotten so more. <laughs> we have forgotten yeah. more about the last six months than we're, we'll ever be able to remember about. Oh, do you remember that thing? Oh, you remember murder hornets? That happened for about two weeks. You know, there was a glitch in the matrix and, and maybe we weren't supposed to get that, that software uh, installed. <laughs> Whoops, hold hey, on. Add credence to what, uh, you know, Gino was saying. There's a theory that perhaps the, the death toll was so bad in China and other places earlier in the year because people were contracting both the flu and coronavirus. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, it was just straight up killing people who contracted both of those things. And so there is going to be a percentage of the population come, you know, October when, when, you know, flu has a hard time transmitting in the heat, but it does in, in the United States because of air conditioning, it just transmits much slower. Right. But it is going to come back pretty strong when, when cold weather uh, comes around and maybe there is something to the cold weather and the spread of coronavirus. They haven't really mentioned that, you know, like that's just kind of died whether, whether, coronavirus is affected by heat or not i don't know we ever got a definitive answer on that well if we people don't know contract, what the numbers in china were either no so. we don't we have no idea and, and so and the same thing uh, holds true with italy you know perhaps what was happening there was was uh 
contracting two things at one time and it, and it contributed to a really high death toll. That's been speculated. And so that could be really problematic come fall. And, and that's, that's basically what happened with the Spanish flu is they, they think that, you know, this, this has killed more people in the United States this time than the Spanish flu did in the first wave. And the Spanish flu killed like hundreds of people in the first wave, very, very few people. But it came back and there was already a flu, right, that was going around in the fall. And people were just, they're just naturally more sickly, especially back then when you didn't really have indoor heating and, you know, it was a harder lifestyle. And then this thing comes around and boom, it just kills millions of people. So I I don't know if that's going to happen this time, but I mean, people should prepare for that if it is even a possibility. Well, we also have we also have the election coming up as well. So, I mean, that's just going to add and exasperate to, yeah. to, to social tensions, to whether or not mail-in ballots is going to be a thing. There's a story right now where in New Jersey, uh, I think there were, I don't remember, I, I had to pull up the story. Uh, so someone fact-checked me on that. But there was a couple of folks out of New Jersey that were just charged with mail-in fraud. And these were officials, not just everyday Joes. These were officials who were found with fraudulent mail. And then they were sending out fraudulent mail for, for vote-ins um, or mail-in votes. So, I mean, we're, we're going to have coronavirus. We're going to have civil unrest. We're going to have an election where people don't want to show up to, you know, polls through either intimidation, right? So now, now we're, we're entering in uh, the mask bully phase of everything, right? So whether you're anti-max or pro-mask, this isn't the conversation, but we're just looking at the observation of what's happening. We've got people who are diehard, quote unquote, maskers who are shaming and calling people out, videotaping them in, in, in stores, uh, being very aggressive towards them. And then we have people on the opposite side who don't want to wear a mask, who are being just as arrogant, just as mean spirited. And, and there's just no, it, it's, it's come down to another divis, divisive issue for us to just squabble about over the next three months until the election then the election comes around and we've talked about this if trump wins oh be prepared for not a good thing if he loses oh man be really prepared for not a good thing so i want to i want to get your take on that well i I can tell you that's where right now i think you've got to start and that's where the practical uh buying a few extra groceries here and there and don't just stuff your your fridge, right? Because um, I picked for July EMP on the doomsday. Uh, <laughs> 2020 doom bingo. 2020 doomsday. <laughs> yeah, you know, but no, in all seriousness, you know that, so you need food and water. You need food supplies. Um, not only for your house, there you go, Sal. Uh, you need something for your car. Um, so, for instance, I drive about 30 miles uh, every day into work, and I drive through some areas of town that could potentially have a unrest, right? Um, so, I'm a license to carry, an LTC holder. I do carry. Um, and when the riots first started, it was the first time I ever pulled out my truck gun, which you all saw in the uh, opening uh, of the show. Um, might be paranoid, but the the reality is some of the video you see coming out of the cities. Hmm. Um, I saw one yesterday where a kid was sitting in his car and he they start shooting fireworks into the car and it's ridiculous. And oh, it was bad. Yeah, and and it's it's not just a one time happen. Uh, but it's not a hate crime either. 
Right. And, and, you know, it's neither here nor there. It just, the reality is all of this is going to compound come November. And what are you going to do now to protect your family when that comes, if you haven't been doing it already? We um, saw it back in 16. I mean, massive, the battle of Berkeley and I mean, massive riots and demonstrations and it got really ugly then. Um, I, I think it's prime now to be, worse i've never seen and we're all relatively young and and of the same age group and i've just i've never seen it like this and this and the really sad part is is it's not being covered anymore right so we've we've expired our two weeks of rioting and looting so now we're back onto the covid stories you have to seek it out you have to go to facebook live or you have to go to different live streaming platforms to find that these riots and this looting and these protests are still happening every single day now yeah i don't know how these people have that much time on their hands but i'm, I'm watching these videos at two three o'clock in the morning sometimes and i'm like what are they they've doing? been paid by soros exactly <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I think it's going to get worse as as we roll. I mean, we're not the only state that's going back to phase two. I, I think that you're going to see lockdowns start happening all across the country again. That and in and of itself is going to cause just the right to the conservative, the, even the libertarians who are who are all about you know freedoms and 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 civil rights um, or civil liberties, I should say. <sighs> How are you not pissed off? Like I've seen a lot of talk and this is something that Tim Poole talked about and he got really heated up on, on his podcast is what is the right going to do? Seriously, you're just sitting there clacking on your keyboards. Oh, this isn't fair. My, my rights are being, what are you going to do? You, we've got the left out there. We've got these Marxist trained BLM uh, anarchists and, and Antifa who are doing something. I mean, at least they're burning something. They're showing that they're pissed off. They want to change. What are we as, as conservatives or fiscally conservative individuals going to do? And, and, you know, the point was made that, oh, we're just going to sit on our hands and take it. You know, if Biden wins, we're not going to riot. We're not going to get up and, and get really upset. At least the, the far right conservative, you know, boomer generation, they're not going to do that. They're going to go to work and they're going to mumble and grumble. But what are we going to do? Yeah. That's something I talked to a friend about the other night on the phone. The rights conserve nothing, like nothing. Nothing's been conserved at all in the last 30 or 40 years. Like we've lost everything, uh, you know, and my, my politics aside, like people, most people don't have any idea what my politics are and that's fine. I, I don't care. Um, but like whatever you want to say about the, the mainstream right, they, they've just lost with grace. It's like falling with style, like to quote Toy Story which I had to watch several times today. Uh, but, but like, they, they're just like, oh, we don't want to sacrifice our principles to win. Well, that's why you don't ever win. You don't win anything, you know? And it's been really sad. And I, I don't really know what's going to happen. But I will say this. I've seen a lot of backlash towards Republicans and towards the neocons lately, especially this year. And I think if there's a whole lot more losing, especially with this iconoclasm or this iconoclastic movement occurring, you are going to see violence on the right. The, the right will demonstrate there will be violence on, on the right. And if, if the right gets woken up in the same way the left is right now, it, it could be a lot worse because they do have the weapons. They have the ammo. Yeah. A lot of them have the training. Um, it might and be time they, for us to release the, they're not uh, bleeding the hearts, the three percenter episode that we haven't released yet. I, I think we should release it. Yeah. I think that's, I think it's time. I think that's, I think, 
one of one of my concerns is is everybody just picks the meme that their buddy put out there without any real investigation, right? Yeah. And it's, it's come to light that the BML leadership is a Marxist group. Their yes. their core leadership are Marxist. They've admitted it, and they've even said, um, you know, when Biden gets elected, he will buckle to our demands. I mean, it's it's that simple, guys. It, it's I have a problem with Marxism. Um, oh yeah. You know, it as as my core is a first and second amendment amendment guy that is uh, a patriot. I have a problem with it, and they have been able to parlay something that was at the beginning a noble protest, and that that Mr. Floyd was uh, he was killed, and it, it wasn't right. But it's been it's been turned into a political monster to overthrow the government. And if I'm crazy, I'm crazy. Uh, it's just what I'm reading, and it's not. There you go, Sal. It's not that. Um, I sit there and follow the next meme. I get in and actually research it. And you can see from the horse's mouth them admitting it. And that's the problem is that people aren't paying attention. And come November, I hate to say it, if if Trump loses, the, it could be a civil war. I don't know. And again, what are possible. you going to do to protect your family? Yeah, that's what we should bring it back to is is the fact that those are certain things that are out of your element. So in, in stoicism, right, they teach that you you should be able to control how you react to the outside forces. The Buddha teaches his students that, you know, he asked, would it be terrible to be shot by an arrow? And his students reply, yes, it would be terrible to be shot by an arrow. And so the Buddha asks his students again, would it be terrible to be shot by a second arrow? And his students say, of course, it would be horrible to be shot by two arrows. Who, who would want to be shot by two arrows? And so his conclusion is... The first arrow is what happens to you, what happens to you that you cannot control the external events in your life. The second arrow is how you react, right? And, and this is what we're talking about now. How are you going to react? What are you doing right now? What are you putting into place to make sure that you're financially, physically, and mentally prepared for what's going to happen? Because there's a, there's a good chance, and, and I haven't had the privilege, unfortunately, I, that's kind of one of the, I guess, survivor guilt aspects of being in the military is I never got deployed. I never got to see some of that. And maybe that's a blessing in disguise, but there's still part of me that says, man, it would have been nice to know what that was like. Because every time someone says, thank you for your service, in the back of my mind, you know, outwardly, I say, thank you. I receive it. Thank you. I appreciate it. Happy to have served my country. But in the back of my mind, there's like, I didn't do anything. And it sucks. Like, I didn't do anything. I showed up, did what I had to do, did my eight years, and I got out. Right? You still sign the check. You still sign the check. So I like to always, uh, when I talk to people, when we all evacuated, uh, did, it, did either one of y'all evacuate for Hurricane Rita? No, we hunkered down. Yeah, no, I, I, we did. Yeah, we went to... Uh some family member's house and it was a, an absolute disaster trying to yeah. get out of the city. Yeah. So, you know, we did too. We went up to Brenham 18 hours later. And one of the takes that I got out of that was the lawlessness, the, yeah. the, the fear. You could just tell there was a shift in the way people were behaving 
because there was lawlessness happened. on the road. On the road. Oh, yeah. Gas stations too. Gas stations were scary as hell. I remember yeah, waiting they were. Line for 30 minutes and it was just like, we don't know what's going to happen. Like if, if something just pops off here, like I didn't take my kids, my family, we got gas. And then like, I remember sitting in traffic for about three hours just to get home after filling up the gas is ridiculous. Go ahead, Gino. Didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, you're good. No, that's, that's where I kind of start my whole basis when people talk to me about, you know, what do you do? Um, why is it that you, you feel so strongly that you need to be prepared, that you have weapons? Um, you know, and, and it was that sense of lawlessness uh, that reminded me of deploying when you leave the wire, right? And you, once you walk out that, when you drive out that gate, it's the Wild West. And that was the feeling right here in Houston um, when we were, who everybody who was seasoned hurricane, we've been doing it all our lives. We were scared to death because of what Katrina did to New Orleans. And not long after, we've got this massive hurricane barreling down and people lost all sense. And that's where I, I, I feel like it's building to that. And instead of it happening in a few days, we're, we're building slowly each day and the pressure is just, it's, it's gonna boil over at some point. And, and it's not just a hurricane now, we have all these other uh, issues. So for me, you know, going back to weapons, I keep it pretty simple. Um, I own weapons. I'm not going to say how many or what, you know, maybe that boat needs to go. But I keep a nine millimeter in my pistols, and I also have a nine millimeter AR 15, uh, 12 gauge shotgun, 22, um, and a, a couple of ARs with a 223. Also keep, a, I guess I should say backup. I like to have rounds that are going to be common, right? Yes. You, you, I got buddies. Walmart that own, rounds. Yeah, you know, or or uh, rounds that that somebody might have in their house if if they've abandoned and we're to that point where you're scavenging, right? Um, I like to have though the practical loadout, mm-hmm. and if I've got a ten millimeter pistol, where am I going to find ammunition if I need it? Oh, my in-laws just bought a 380 and couldn't find anything. Yeah. Anything. So there you go. Even that, back to prepping now. When you go into Walmart, when you go into Academy, if you're going in because you can, order online. I can tell you, there's some awesome websites. Y'all can hit me up after. That oh, you can I share them here. Huh? You can share them here. Uh, I can air them. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, We're not sponsored by anybody. USA. <laughs> Say it again. Uh, Midway USA. It's a it's a a very uh, secure. Harry Potterfield's a good dude too. Yeah, I I don't know him, but I know that everything I've ever bought it gets here. Um, I've never had an issue with ordering something and then then messaging me back saying, "Oh, we sold out. We can't get to you, and and you'll be first in line." They are the Amazon of of shooting sports. I mean, it's it's incredible all that they stock. Yeah, they've got a hell of a deal on MREs right now. Case of twelves. 55 bucks, man. Nice. Pretty good. If anyone from Midway USA is uh, listening, hit us up. (laughs) There you go. We'll take your sponsorship. The thing is, is you can buy ammo online and get it shipped if you live in Texas. You know, check your state, wherever you might be. But right now, if there's a quarantine coming, it's a good option. 
and it's an option that makes you make sure that you're not short. Um, 22, 22 rifle, one of the most versatile rifles, uh, rounds that you can have where you can, you, if you need to hunt. Um, it's a plinking gun. It's a plinking gun, great for kids. I have a little 22 pistol that the kids train with. Uh, I even shoot it sometimes just for good muscle memory, right? Just because you own a weapon doesn't mean that that's the it. You need to know how to use them. You need to know how to break them down. You need to know how to clean them. We are supported by Aerial Digital. Aerial Digital is a full-service digital marketing agency that specializes in custom-designed websites for small to medium-sized businesses. Whether you need a simple one-page bootstrap website or you're ready to start selling your products online with an e-commerce website, Aerial Digital is equipped to help your business. Go to aerialdigitalmarketing.com slash newnormal. That's A-R-I-E-L digitalmarketing.com slash newnormal and save 20% on your custom website today. One of the things I love the Army about, you know, we, they were they were hell on you about learning how to clean a weapon. It's important, but um, are you doing it now? Or are you going to wait till October 27th and the whole world's burning down because, you know, Trump's numbers aren't there and we're just in chaos? It's It's... Now is the time. It should have been the time three months ago yeah. when we started playing around with this quarantine. That was the biggest takeaway that I got from, and, and we've talked about it a number of times. You know, maybe the author of One Second After will one day hear this podcast and hear how proud we are of his work. But One Second After is just an eye opening, whether you believe in EMP attacks or not, like that's just a huge prepper mindset and prepper uh tool set that you should be reading up on understanding the mentality that the main character had to go through understanding that within 72 hours of of an emp or grid situation you're not going to have truckers moving in and out you're not going to have supplies you're not going to have readily available medication so i mean he gets into in, in the book with um nursing homes and we're seeing that now nursing homes that are essentially locked down and don't have access to the outside world. I mean, in the book, I distinctly remember one of the chapters, they tried to rescue people. From it's the nursing horrifying. Home. It was horrifying to read. Yeah, that, that, that's the most horrifying part of the book. I it mean, that, that, that stuck with me. What happened during uh, um, our, our hurricane where we flooded here yeah. in the nursing homes in Dickinson, Texas, where they just left people. Yeah, you know, it, It's happened in real life. So you talk, you talked about the book. Here you go. I don't know if you can see that. That's a uh, silver. Mm. You know, it's it's something I've been buying over the years. You buy it online. Now you can go and invest in it with at Charles Schwab if you want. But is it in your hand? Um, I've got a ton of coins too. It's something that. Uh, what do you do if when the currency fails and and you can't go swipe your card? What are you going to trade with? Bullets was one of them in that book. Yeah. Bullets, cigarettes, coffee, all the things that you just don't think about. I want to touch on the EMP thing because I don't think people, you know, it's always funny to most people when like Kim Jong-un, you know, spouts off the mouth and he doesn't frequently. We're in a very precarious situation right now as a country. I mean, if you don't think that state actors have instigated what has happened, you're dead wrong. You know, 
what what has occurred as far as the civil unrest uh and and you know like you can look into this is really tinfoil hat territory i should put back on my 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 uh, tactical foil uh but uh you know ernst zundel he talks about this in in interviews how uh bolshevik agents uh infiltrate I can't, I can't talk straight, <laughs> but, uh, they, they have infiltrated the media and, uh, you know, the March to the institutions, we're all familiar with this Marxist, Marxist tenet, the, the March to the institutions. And this was always a Marxist plan was to infiltrate the country. So you have that, you have a bunch of Marxist sleeper agents, right? And that, it sounds crazy to say that, but, but that is true. This, the United States government recognizes this as, as a thing, look into it. And then you have direct funding of the insurrection and the unrest by NGOs, right? We know NGOs have been funding a lot of this. Well, where are they getting their monies from? You know, their, their, money, their money is coming from, uh, you know, shell companies that are a lot of times state agents and, and they're, they're foreign state actors. And so this is kind of, a, a long-term plan and, and it's not kind of, it is what it is. And little rocket man, everybody likes to joke about it, but one of the biggest counterfeiters of U uh, S dollars and one of the most successful counterfeiting nations on the planet is North Korea. I mean, people can look into that. It's one of the reasons we had to change the hundred dollar bill to what it is. It was North Korea that caused us to change it. And, you know, so they, they do have money and they do have the ability to throw cash around and, uh, by leverage all over the world. One thing that's very scary is, you know, you can look into the scandals in the Clinton administration and what happened with our nuclear missile technology in the 90s, and it made its way to China. And China, we do know, gave that technology to North Korea. And a lot of people think, oh, North Korean missiles, they're such a joke. They can't hit anything. They fly nowhere. They blow up. So I studied aerospace and uh, I have some knowledge into nuclear engineering as well. And uh, look, you don't need the missile to fly all the way over the Pacific Ocean to model the trajectory. Okay, They understand the principles of Coriolis. They know how much fuel has burned, the velocity uh, of the missile and, and how far it would go and, and how it would perform. And these these guys haven't made a successful reentry vehicle, but there's there's evidence that they really haven't tried, and so that should be really alarming because the big test that they did of the hydrogen bomb in North Korea was a low yield explosive device with extremely high gamma uh, emissions. So that that bomb is an EMP bomb. It's an E bomb. It's it's what we 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 made treaties against this back I think in the 70s, um, but. You know they are not; they don't abide by any of these treaties. We know that they put glass in their mortars. And they, they, the North Koreans do a lot of stuff that is well outside of the Geneva Convention or any treaties. And so they've made this EMP bomb, and the missile that carries it doesn't have a reentry vehicle. And people are like, "Oh, well, then they can't deliver it." No, they're just going to detonate the damn thing in space. And then when they do that, if they're in over the middle of North America, there's no power in Mexico. There's no power in the United States. There's no power in Canada, and no one's bringing us anything, especially if there is a coronavirus outbreak in South Korea, and they have limited manufacturing capabilities. That's who makes our grid transformers. 
Okay. So they know that the North Koreans know we get our grid transformers from Asia. It takes six months. It's a six month lead time on that. So you're talking about if, if, if he really does want to make good on his promise to wipe out the United States or whatever, if, if Iran wants to do that, I, I don't know. You know, there's plenty of people who don't like us. That e-bomb is a surefire way to do it. It is, it is the North Koreans mutually assured destruction protocol. It's all they've got. And people can say, and it, and it really is probably, one, it's one of the reasons we've negotiated with him when we come to the table, because he now has the ability to hold the country ransom. And so at some point in time, now we do have to talk to this guy. And if we ever do go into a conflict with him, we, we know that he holds his Trump card is just to turn the lights off. And if you look at the projections done by the DOD on an EMP, it's a 90% death poll within, I think, 90 days. But, I, but I'm almost positive it's within six months. It's 90% of the American population dead. That's how long it would take to get one grid transformer back online. But even if we had the grid transformers back online, we don't have the manufacturing capability to put the transformers back online, small transformers and, you know, small circuits, automobiles. You're looking at just millions of piles of junk all over the United States. Your cell phone, just throw it away. It'll never come back on again. No microprocessor will ever be back on again in this country. And it will be medieval basically very quickly. So that's really not a joke. It is something people should be thinking about. And, you know, I, I think it was either Deutsche Bank, I think it's Deutsche Bank that projected that there was a pretty significant chance of an EMP uh, altering life and life events on earth within the next 20 to 40 years. It was a pretty significant chance. It's also a pretty significant chance for a major flu pandemic. And a couple of other really bad natural disasters people should look into. So, I mean, this isn't really a joke. And I think if anything out of this whole event, when we've seen that we did live in a stable country and all three of us grew up in a relatively stable country, our kids are not going to grow up in a stable country. That's very apparent. Even if we just continue on this uh, trajectory of political unrest and kind of this you know, downward slide of influence in the world, it's not a stable country anymore. I think we need to come to grips with that. Well, I mean, wouldn't some of that be that we grew up in a time when people were hardened because of the Cold War? And we yeah, were, I, would, I would agree with that. And we've forgotten those lessons. A lot of people have forgotten because we haven't had any major hardships in the last 30 years. No. Um, you know, EMP, I'll throw, I'll throw one out there. I, I said it the other day. Do you think China would really care if 300 million Americans died? Or if 300 million Chinese died? Would they care? They, no. they wouldn't care at all. And let's, no. let's let's be honest. If we hit them with an EMP, they're already they don't have the markets that we have. They don't have the reliance on big box um, slaughterhouses. They they live off a lot of wild food, so they're going to be able to survive a lot better than we will when we lose trucks going down the road delivering your food to your HEDs. There's almost nothing in China that isn't manufactured in China. So they could literally just put a bayonet to everyone's throat and tell them to go back to work and everything would function as normal. It would just basically be like rolling back to 1960s or 1970s China, where they literally had a gun put to their head and told them to go work and make, you know, a product for the nation. That's it. And so for me, six months when I say food, um, I'm working towards a year for each one of my family members. Some people say two years. Um, 
you know, but back to, I'm trying to make sure I, I'm, I'm even keeping food on the plate right now because on the table, because I lost my job because we were locked down and my $1,200 kickback and um, what I believe the extra in unemployment that ends in mid July, right? So even that little stipend is, is going to go away. So how do, how do you even prepare for something six months from now when you're having trouble? Um, it's, very it, it's, it's absolutely crazy. You know, even my parents, when uh, I go back to Rita, the day that we evacuated, I, I, my parents call me and, you know, we're, we're loading up the car and I had already seen ahead what, what we should have been doing. So I had already had 75 gallons of gas um, from a week before, even before I even knew the hurricane was coming. Long story short, by the time we go to roll out a league city, I've got five cars in a convoy um, rolling down the road to Brenham with family members loaded to the gill with household goods and just the most asinine stuff you could carry. Um, we made it though. We were able to get to 290 and Beltway 8. Um, it was about 12 hours in. Everybody's running on fumes. And right there at 290 and Beltway 8, when you when you get on to 290, there's a church. I don't know the name. It's been a really long time, but we pulled over there and formed a perimeter, believe it or not. Started fueling up cars because in the the, there was a parking lot. There was a car lot beside us. Uh, people over there siphoning gas out of out of the cars in the car lot, um, and it was absolute chaos. It was and crazy, so, man. I remember it, it like it was yesterday. It was, and and now and society was cool. much more polite, and there was very little racial problems. Uh, you know, to add to it, I mean, I don't remember any racial problems back in two thousand five. I mean, I, I didn't even think about that sort of thing back then at all. And I don't know, people were just more polite. And that was like after, I don't know, our fourth great awakening as a nation on the hill of nine, hills of 9-11. And like everybody's evangelical, right? And everybody goes to church and this is Texas. And, and that's all anybody wants to talk about. And here you are like, you know, evacuating. It's a time where people need to come together and, you know, no free, cohesion at all. Mad Max. Media. Yeah, it was, yeah. it was crazy. And that's the, the, yeah, you bring up a good point. The, the mindset of people then and now. It's uh, everybody's at their throats, you know, there's no ability to disagree with anybody anymore or to, that, that you can have your own opinion and I can have mine. Um, yeah, everything's a personal attack. If I disagree with you in any way, it's like an assault on your personal character. It's really weird. It's a real, it, it, you bring yeah. up a good point with that. We're seeing that now with the masks, right? I mean, it's, it's a personal affront regardless of what position you take it's a personal attack yo you don't care about my family you you care you know you care about money more than lives and it's just like no i care about my civil liberties i care about you know my respiratory issues that i may have copd or asthma it's like no one can come to the table and have just a non-emotional a reaction to mask or no mask or you know looking at the stats and figures whatever wherever you're getting them from like i've i've taken the position of make the best decision that you can for you and your family but then the counter to that is it's not about you it's not about you so i mean you just you can't have a conversation um 
you, you touched on a, a little bit about with your, with your kids. Can you talk to me how you're, obviously you're training yourself, you're preparing, you're getting everything in line for how you can take care of your family. How are your kids doing through all of this? What are you doing to coach them, to prepare them? What are some of the conversations that you're having with your kids that are getting them ready for what's happening? So I'm a single parent and I'm, I'm uh, brutally honest and open with both of my kids, right? And so they know how to use weapons. And we've actually started doing um, some first aid training. And I've actually also told them that uh, starting tomorrow, we will start doing some family PT in the evenings. Um, but they help, you know, they do their chores and I expect them to know how to, uh, my 10 year old, she can cook her own eggs and bacon in the morning, right? I'm, I'm making sure that they have the life skills um, that I don't see with a lot of their friends. Uh, they have to take care of the animals. That's part of their job, right? They have to clean up after themselves. And that's the basics that trying to lay the groundwork so that when you become an adult, you can take care of yourself. And you don't have to worry about mom or dad anymore. Um, the reality is, though, in this situation, they are paying attention, uh, just like vitamins, right? We don't really know what can, other than the herd immunity or getting sick. And now I'm even seeing with the antibodies are supposedly uh, disappearing after a couple of months is, is the new thing. I don't know if you guys have seen that. Um, Say that so, one more time. I, I, I you, you broke up on my end. That, that the antibodies that if you you've had COVID are now going away within a couple of months and you can be reinfected and all this good stuff. That's so, that's something that we've covered a couple of times that, that there's no real proof that you have long-term immunity yeah. or, or any sort of immunity at all. And that what they were seeing in, in Korea, it was in, in China and in Italy is that people who were infected twice died very often. And so that's, that's troubling that, yeah. So, so that, when, where, when did you hear that? Did you hear that pretty recently? They, they, uh, in the last couple of days, I'll see if I can pull up a couple of articles on it. Please do. And, and put that in the comments. Cause I, I totally forgot about that whole aspect of this. That's like the two week thing, right? That we talked about that for two weeks, like four months ago, but I, you know, I, I'd completely forgot about it. So that's, that's a good point to bring up. Yeah. It's resurfacing. And, and that goes to, um, you know, I, I have a couple of friends that are, are nurses in ICU and, uh, you know, one of the things they're pushing is your vitamins. And, and uh, I even take, and this might be crazy, but we, we all take a, a shot of emergency every morning. Uh, and there you go. You know, a multivitamin. Um, multivitamins are saying zinc might be something that uh, is really beneficial to help fight this. So, well, an ounce of uh, prevention is worth, you know, a, a pound of cure. Yeah, even yeah, mineral yeah. water and Schweppes is, is being touted as something that's potentially, you know, at least good to have on you as, as part quinine of Quinine and zinc. Mm -hmm. So tonic with quinine and zinc, apparently um, almost, if you drink enough of the quinine tonic, can have a very similar effect, supposedly, to hydroxychloroquine. Because quinine is an anti-malarial. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, and that's, it's, it's basically for my kids, we're, we're, I'm very open with what I'm doing. And even to the point that I don't have to tell them 
Go take your vitamins every day. They're doing it because they're trying to be aware. Uh, one of Jackson's um, friends was exposed and he come right to me. Dad, we got to get tested. Well, do we really have to be? Is he showing symptoms? Well, no. So I want you to go research for me what you should be doing if you come in contact with somebody that was exposed, not showing symptoms. So he went and looked and we talked about it and we didn't go get tested. Now I had to go get tested the other day because we did, I did come in contact with, with five guys that have had it in the last week. So I went and got tested. I'm fine. Um, there goes again, personal preference. Should I take my kids in too? Right now, no, because they're not showing symptoms. And I'm not a doctor, so that's my take on it, though. Um, but yeah, they help with with the gardening. We planted a few fig trees um, because one of the aspects that I think about is I want to start canning. And it's a great thing to learn. Figs, you can do so much with figs, or, and they're they're packed with vitamins, right? The thing I uh, I like about figs is that gives you something sweet. Um, because if you're eating MREs every day because the world's ended, you still, it, it's something that gives you some, uh, some nutritional value, but it also gives you a little mental boost. Um, something that, that I've always wanted to do, I just can't because where I live is have bees, honeybees. You know, there's a, another aspect of, of, they say local honey is one of the best things you can consume every day. You and, should get uh, a flow hive. They're small. Yeah. I think you could have one in your backyard. Nobody would notice. A flow hive. I haven't heard of that. Yeah. They're pretty right cool. On. Yeah. And, you know, and that's, so I am blessed living where I am that um, some of my friends and, and my good buddy, his property, we can fall back on, right? Um, that if we lost water and power, I'm very blessed in that aspect that, and he's kind of got the same mind. I was going to bring up water earlier. Uh, you can go down to Tractor Supply and buy, depending on how deep your well is, they got an old manual pitcher pump. Um, 50 bucks, I think, is what they run. So that if you lose power, back to them EMP, which is coming in July. That, you know, <clears throat> since everybody's 4th of July, Galveston canceled theirs, League City canceled theirs. So we're not going to have 4th of July fireworks this year. I was figuring as EMP would be about perfect. Um, there's a light show. <laughs> yeah, there's your light show. But, you know, it's, it's for my kids, I think, sitting down with them and just letting them know there's unrest. And, and hey, guys, this is new to me. The closest mm. we've seen in our lives is Russia. From afar, we've seen it. And let me tell you, did anybody think Russia would fall like they did? Are we immune to that? Right. What are some of the if, questions that your kids are asking you? Uh, a, a lot to do with, with COVID. It's, it's, it's number one is the boredom. And, you know, can, can we go here? Well, no. Well, why not? Well, you know, because if you and I come in contact with this guy, uh, for instance, making people wear, wear a mask at work, right? You don't know what they're doing when they're at home. And, and uh, we've made people wear a mask at our job. Um, but then they go home, you think if they're wearing a mask at work, um, then they're gonna be okay. But obviously it wasn't because we had five people. So for the kids, 
we've had to be inventive in where we go. So we were going to the beach, walking on the seawall, and then everybody and their mom start doing that. So they close down the beaches. So what do you do with the kids? Um, a lot of walking in the neighborhood. But back to questions, a lot of it's just been the COVID stuff. Uh, we've touched base on the riots and, and why they're happening, but to get into the, the whole, you know, it's a Marxist and, you know, it, it, it's, it's the riots are wrong. That's a hard subject to broach with them. I don't know. What are you guys? How, how depth y'all get with your kids on it? So my kids are, two of them are 17 and, and over, 17 and 18, um, both of which right now are out of state doing a, a church camp. So, you know, they, they have their social media, their, you know, faces are buried in, in a phone, unfortunately, a lot of the day. But um, the older two, they will come and, you know, text or call mom or ask me, yeah, you know, what's going on? How are we dealing with certain things? Um, our second oldest, he he comes and he, you know, he works at a restaurant locally and, you know, they talk and he hears things and we've raised them in such a way that we're, we're very proud of their decision-making skills. And they, they see some of the negative influences in their jobs and they see some of the negative influences in their life that they can come back to us and have that conversation. Our four littlest ones, it's the same thing that you're talking about, the boredom, right? Like, why can't we go here? Why can't we, why isn't Pizza Hut open? Why can't we go inside here? How come, like when, when Walmart wasn't letting everybody in at the same time, it's like, why can't we all go in? Why do we all have to wait in the car? Well, here's the situation. You know, they're, they're only letting one person from the family come in. Um, and we have to follow those rules for right now. And if everyone keeps following the rules, right, you talk to them in that relatively child level but at the same time you have to be real with them like you can't belittle your children just because they're children they pick up on things i mean there's so many times i overhear my littlest ones are like oh no i got the coronavirus <laughs> they're just playing around i'm like how did how did you even know to say something like that so i mean they're obviously picking this up and we don't have tv where they're watching other than streaming so they're just watching Garfield and, and whatever's on, on Amazon. Um, so they don't have access to the news in that way. But obviously, they, they pick it up from my wife and I having conversations. Um, so we just try to be as, as transparent as possible. If they have a question, um, we don't want them to feel like we're afraid, which obviously then makes them feel afraid. Because if daddy's scared, what's going on? Um, so, you know, I try to make it very apparent that, you know, this is, this is serious, but it's not something that we have to worry about. And obviously our faith comes into that. And then we don't, you know, we just don't subscribe to the fear porn that is constantly in front of us. And I don't talk about the scary things that are out there. My wife and I will have conversations like, I can't believe this has just gotten so stupid in certain stories. It's like, are we really, you know, changing master bedroom because har.com feels that it's offensive to use the term master bedroom i mean yeah, just the, the, crazy, man. <laughs> just the stupidity so factor go, of all of that going back to um what you talk about your kids right now i think something's very um relevant is is um is uh situational awareness yeah right opsec too when 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 you say you leave them in the car right now we know that that, that there's a lot of tensions. So something that I've talked to my kids about since they were little, and I actually heard Pat McNamara talking about the other day on his podcast. Uh, 
I never went in, in, in as depth as him, but I, I definitely took some notes. Um, you know, we, we deal with um, a lot around here. You always see stories of kids getting kidnapped for trafficking and all. So I've always talked to my kids. And when we get out of the car at Walmart, say, for instance, which we don't go to Walmart much, but, you know, I teach them to look out of the car before you get out. And I ask them, why? Why are you looking around? Right. And just try to get them aware. And when we walk in the store, they're looking back to see where the car is. Um, and then when you get in there to that, for me, uh, especially as they're smaller, that they stay on your hip and that they're paying attention to what aisle they're in. And now that's not a joke either. Like the Houston is the human trafficking capital of the world now. And when I was in law enforcement, uh, it was a real problem. And in my district, there ended up being uh, a stash house of illegal aliens that was over 50 people. Um, and, and some of them were kids and some of them were being sex traffic. I'm sure. I, I mean, I, I never got, you know, confirmation and it's exactly what was going on, but we know that Houston's got a serious problem with that. And there is a, a, a woman running for Congress in Fort Bend County against Troy Nels, uh, on that platform on, on a platform that he's turned a blind eye potentially. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what, I don't know what she's referring to, but it's possible. Uh, turn a blind eye to human trafficking or just hasn't cared and hasn't done anything about it. And so, man, I, I watch my kid like a hawk when we go somewhere. And that is, that is my biggest fear as a parent, um, especially in Texas. One of the main sure. reasons I want to get the hell out of this state. I want to get as far away from a border state as I possibly can. Especially with daughters. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and that's just it, right? Is that, uh, I, I don't know how I could live if something happened to one of my kids. So oh, I'd burn the world down. Yeah. Burn the freaking world down. And that's so situational awareness uh, anywhere we go. Cell phones. You are not situationally aware. If you're on your cell phone walking around the grocery store. Yeah. You're not going to know what's happening. And and that's one thing. Um, just like at the dinner table, we don't we don't keep our phones out. And when we're in the stores, we don't. And it just, it, it only takes that one time um, for somebody to walk in the store and shoot it up that your baby's gone or you're gone. Mm. And so, yeah, that, that's one of the things that I, I talk to my kids about all the time, including at the house. Uh, we're pretty locked down here and I, I'm not going to get totally into what we do, but uh, one of the things that uh, it, it knocked a light bulb in my son uh, Probably about, I don't know, a month ago, his, well, a couple of his buddies come over and were playing a joke and were beating on the windows and running away. <laughs> yeah. and uh, That's a good way to get shot right now. Yeah, it is, you know. And I calmly opened the door because I, 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 I saw him on the camera. Opened the door and uh, racked that 12-gauge. And those two kids come out of the woodworks. And afterwards, my son and I sat and talked about it. And I said, let me ask you something. Why do you think all the exterior lights are on at night? Well, I don't know, Dad. Why? And I said, it's real simple. If I, gotta, if, if I need to come out guns blazing, I'm not turning the light on. So I can walk out the door and they never know I'm coming because the light's already on. Not only that, it helps with the, the cameras. But that's, that's just one of the things that... You'll not even know 
what if I don't have a camera? What if I got a peephole and I'm looking through the door and I got two bad guys standing in front of it trying to break in? All I got to do is pull the trigger. But if I can't identify them because it's dark, hmm, could be some problems, right? It could have been those two kids. So that's one of the little things we do. Uh, keep the lights on all around. It helps with, with the property. Um, I don't know. And that might sound crazy. Uh, I even keep things. <clears throat> so th this is uh, uh, what some might call a novelty, but it's, it's, um, it's Fox, Fox 5 million, bro. You don't want to be yeah. hit by that stuff. Yeah, man. We Fox 5 million, <laughs> you get hit by that and it's derma peel. It's, it's bad, man. <laughs> That's it. The kids know if they got to throw one of those, what they need to do, you know, they're going to run. Um, and that's a bad boy. You can get that off of Amazon. Hell, that, I don't. Most agencies won't even let you carry Fox anymore. Really? Legitimately? Oh, legitimately? Because no. it's bad. If you if you've been hit by like Saber Red or any other normal spray, and then you get hit by Fox Five Million, that's a that's a whole different ball game. <laughs> and you will feel it for days. You feel well, that for days. That's it's like that's being lit on daughter, fire. You know, my my ten year old. That's something that she knows what to do with it. So. Um, is it paranoid? A big gnarly can of Fox Five Million, literally in a bag next to me. <laughs> that's perfect well, that for actually like a bug bomb. Yeah, and that's perfect for for wives who, my, my wife specifically, does not like guns. Like she's okay with me purchasing guns, having guns. We have guns in our safe, but she doesn't want to handle it. And we haven't we haven't gotten over that hurdle of her handling and, and training with it. We even had that conversation today. We passed by a pawn shop and I was like, I want to go get another gun this week. And then, then we were talking about that. And then we got onto the fact that I was like, I need you to learn how to use a gun, but something like that, yeah, having Mace, bro. we'll talk about it after the show. <laughs> Do what? So we'll talk about it after the show. Come on. We can have a gun talk. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm on for just something small for her. Um, like right now, I I carry a, a Ruger SR9C, so it's a compact version of the SR9, but it has the full magazine. Um, so Give I've enjoyed a full body 357 Magnum, and then throw 38 Lady Lights in it because it'll always work. It'll always work, and 38 doesn't play. Like people think 30 people sleep on 38, and 38. I'll tell you what, I've seen somebody shot in the leg, and they didn't die. But I've seen somebody shot in the leg with 38, and. uh you don't want to be hit with that. You know, right. it yeah, was P a, plus P here. You're in trouble. That's bad. Man. You know, like it was just an old dude. I mean, it was just an old dude cleaning his, 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 uh, revolver, uh, and just accidentally shot himself in the leg. I mean, and, uh, you, you don't, as a cop, you rarely see people get, get shot with 38 these days. Like that's, that's super uncommon. So I got to see that once, uh, and don't sleep on 38. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> That's, yeah, my ex-wife. I bought her a, a Lady Smith thirty-eight. Oh, that's fantastic weapon. It's a great. You don't have to. All you gotta do is squeeze. There's not a lot yep. of thinking behind. Yeah, um, yeah, and it's always going to go bang. You know, it's not I like her, the, the her manual of arms is, on a revolver is very simple. Her hurdle is just the scariness aspect of it, right? Just it's a weapon of death, and she's she's afraid of it. And that's just something I haven't done a great job of just getting her out there and even my kids getting them out there. We've done it a couple of times. So, I mean, it is, this is a great conversation for me to have with other men and then just understanding the importance of 
you know, teaching weapon safety. And we had, we had some friends who are full-time RVers who had a weapon safety class. And, and that was a great opportunity for them to, to learn for kids because it was specifically put on for the kids um, for them to have that opportunity to break down a gun, understand how it works and, and, and why it was, uh, you know, why, why safety is, is paramount to that. You, you touched on, um, you touched on uh, shooting and I know that your son was not involved, but was at the high school in your area. We don't have to get into the name of the high school or the location, but there was a school shooting that your, your son was involved in. Can you, can you walk me through your mental state as a parent when that's happening that you just, I mean, I think it happened in the wee hours of the morning. So it was like nine in the morning when school just started, when, when that happened, what's going through your mind. And then if you can maybe share some of your son's post uh, traumatic experience. I mean, that that's certainly qualifies as post-traumatic. What were some of his experiences after that? How has he handled it up till now? And, and, you know, what were some of the questions and conversations that you had to have with him afterwards? Yeah. Um, so in earlier in the year, there was a false scare at our school and he calls me, um, while they're locked in class and says, dad, we, we have a shooting somebody's shooting and okay you kind of go into over you know okay what are y'all doing uh and and i guess the first thing is your heart skips a beat right because that's your baby and um luckily that first time it was it was just a scare it was it was a, a it was it was uh false so then in may when it happened he calls me and he says, and this time he was serious. Like you could hear it in his tone. This is business. <clears throat> and he calls me and he says, dad, we're barricaded in our class and somebody's shooting and people are dying. So at that point, I mean, my world stopped. How old could, was he, man? I could, I, I could, I could I could hear it. I could hear it in his tone. And he said, dad, I got to go. Uh, I love you, son. I love you. Bye. And everything in my life stopped mattering except to try to get to school and protecting. And the reality is the cops are already in route. There's some cops there uh, in a gunfight with the guy. Nothing I'm going to be able to get there in time to do. But your man's racing a million miles an hour. Um, I'm at work. I walk through the front and say, I got to go. There's a school shooting. And I left. I, that's all I said. I didn't say anything. So I get to the school. By that time, a lot of the kids, most of the kids got out. But in the high impact area, they were, they were bunkered down, even though they had already taken the, the suspect in custody. So we didn't see the kids for quite a while. And of course, at that time, they're not telling, you know, that they're just saying there's people missing. So the worst is is running through your head. Here I am, veteran, uh, been deployed, jumped out of planes. I've had guns pointed at me, you name it. Nothing could get me ready for the fear that I was having that day. <clears throat> but then the bus shows up. We're out there waiting for them. And 
Um, they let them off. I didn't see him. They bring them into the little junior high where they were in taking them. Waiting around and finally they come out and say, hey, he's here. We're going to release him. So they release him and his teacher comes out with him. It's still not processing that people have lost their life, that children have lost their life, and that my son just was hidden in a room, barricaded in. But I think for me, it hit home when his teacher walked up to me and she just started bawling. Um, and I grabbed my boy and I gave him a big hug and we went home. It, um, I'm blessed. My, my boy made it through it. Okay. He, he got to come home, but he definitely, he heard some things. And one of the first things I did was I called up a couple of buddies that, that in the army, we always kind of, um, we were always there for each other. And, and I don't suffer from PTSD or anything. I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm lucky. <clears throat> but a couple of my buddies, you know, there was always, if, if you needed a phone call to in the morning, we were there for each other. And so I immediately hooked my son up with them because as his father, I didn't think that maybe he could open up to me, right? And so that was the first initial resource that I sought out for him because I knew that this was going to mess him up in his head. But I can tell you the boy has been pretty resilient through it all. Uh, he does take some some therapy here and there, um, but overall he's handled it very well. Uh, to the point we were shooting a shotgun the other day, um, which was something that I, I wondered if he could have a, if he was going to have a fear over and, and be scared of. Um, which obviously it's it's a big part of my life and it's something that I want him to be comfortable with. I shouldn't say be comfortable with, be proficient with, and, and to be, to have the confidence that he can handle a weapon. Um, so yeah, it it definitely stopped my world, and and the only thing has been is that I've always been open to hear him talk, or when he said, "Dad, I just I need to talk to somebody," and not be overbearing with him and say, "All right, let's let's call the doctor." And so it it um it's affected our 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 school it's affected our community you've had a couple of the parents who um their children were killed have went totally hardcore gun guns are bad and and that's their right and and so it's caused a, a big rift in our community uh with a couple of the families and so personally one of the first things my son acknowledged was dad it wasn't the gun that killed people it was the kid you know, and so looking back, there were signs that that kid was going to do something like that too. Oh yeah, hindsight. Yeah. There um, were many signs, and and nothing was done about it. The typical trench coat. He had swastikas yeah. on it. All all of these, and I've I've still got the pictures from before they took his Facebook down. It was very obviously the shirt he wore that day, born to kill. You know, I mean the his mannerisms, the way he spoke. They they. Hell, he even bought his own ammo online. They, uh, a couple of families have uh, lawsuits going with that, you know, uh, because he was able to get it. So it's it's 
it definitely it came home man and it it shocked us and rocked us all and it was kind of the same thing aftermath was when we had after 9-11 the community came together and everybody chipped in and and then now as it's 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 been two years now it's kind of went by the wayside again so but the kids are still dealing with it he, he, he did some counseling not too long ago so he grew I drove up by that memorial not too long ago and uh you know i i knew people that went to that high school growing up and uh, drive through there pretty frequently and uh you know it, it it hit home i guess when it happened but then driving by the memorial i was like you know i had kids too at that point and i was just like really really upset by that and i can't imagine having been there uh, you know as, as a young man what year in high school was he if you don't mind me asking uh, he was a sophomore. So yeah. He's a senior. He's a senior now, or he's about no. He's a no. I guess he was a freshman. He'll be a senior this year. He's going into his senior year. So That's yeah, fun. he was a freshman. Um, That's really rough. Yeah, you know, I think, and and there was some grandstanding. I can tell you from um from being from a this community is a strong two A community. Definitely Second Amendment place. For sure. And seeing the outside influences trying to get their sound bites of, about anti-gun and all, it really, it embedded a, this community. And that's why, I don't know if you noticed, there wasn't a lot of press after the first few days because we weren't given the narrative, right, mm-hmm. that, that guns are bad and all this craziness i want to say that they interviewed a kid right afterwards and and he was very pro second amendment and that clip just disappeared yeah yeah Yeah. the ones that you saw where there there were small group of kids that um come out and you know guns are bad and um they network with uh other school shootings and stuff and i can tell you as a parent um whose kid was in the in the zone in the in the what they called the high impact area, a couple of those kids, they got out of the school and they weren't in there experiencing it. And they just totally politicized it and they were pawns, man. And it mm. it blew my mind what links um people will go to. It just it opened my mind to a whole new realm of of how crazy people really are. And then fast forward to this year, it's just, it's, I don't even, I don't, whatever happens, happens nowadays. I'm, I'm to that point where, and that takes me back to why I'm prepared. Uh, you know, we were on the fringe 10 years ago. Um, but now it's, it's relevant in our life that you better be prepared for what's coming. We talk a lot yeah. about patterns sorry quentin i was just gonna lead into the next question but i'll come back come back um we talk a lot about patterns and we talk about pattern recognition and just kind of seeing the writing on the wall what are some of the things that you're seeing now that's taking us into the next few months you know what's what's on your 2020 doom bingo that you're you know 
thinking is is happening and you know how do we come out of this like we've talked about taking steps to preparedness and mental preparedness physical preparedness um security preparedness um so walk me through what you're seeing in the patterns that you're recognizing you know locally or or nationally what are you seeing happening uh well locally you know my little community our our labs are chemical plants, refineries, um, oil field. Well, oil field that's a down downstream, but you know, like I'm in the pipeline business, and so you never realize all the auxiliary uh, businesses that flow into that. And when you start seeing people at chemical plants, let me back up. It's always been a big deal that Houston is recession-proof, right? That we will always make it through recession. Well, let me tell you, seeing a lot of the people in this community getting laid off that are at the chemical plants or getting cut to 40-hour work weeks, um, you got to step back and, and really look at the picture. And number one, okay, take COVID out of it because that's, it's debate was it really in uh, manufactured in Wuhan and uh, which we could do a whole segment on that. Um, but I think a lot of this is is it now that the the new normal is election cycle chaos. And so in sixteen it was pretty bad. I would say I would say uh, in, in twelve it was bad. It, but it was the precursor, right? 16, you get Trump in that everybody hates and he wins and they think he's not gonna. And things, it, 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 it was hot. But now we've done, went past to, to nuclear. I mean, it's, so what happens in 2020 when, when Trump or Biden is out of there, right? Where are we going? And, and, what are you going to do? Number one, we got to make it through all this cra craziness. But I think we get through. Okay, no, maybe not. <laughs> I was going to say we get through the election and, and Trump gets elected, and, and things go back to normal. But I don't know, man. I don't. I don't know if it's going to be able to be let up. I think what's been started is is it's not. You're not going to be able to stop the civil unrest, not without leadership stepping up and doing something. You, you brought up a point about Houston being recession proof and it like really rang true with me when, when I thought about it. What you're talking about is critical infrastructure having a major crisis. I mean, people have no idea how, how serious the energy industry is taken in the country. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. I don't. People in our state do, but I don't think people outside of oil producing states really understand it. No, they're happy it, for $1.50 gas. Yeah, it's the backbone of our entire nation. I mean, we are, the dollar is the petrodollar. Uh, if, if there is a crisis with oil, it is actually a crisis with our currency. It's a crisis. It's a legitimacy crisis for our government. And when you start seeing critical infrastructure go down the tank, that could be a glaring indicator that all is not well, that it's way worse than we even thought. And I hadn't really thought about it until just now. I mean, I think we've touched on it in the past a little bit. Um, 
But if you see a downturn like this in critical infrastructure, that should be a huge warning that all is not well. We're having some serious problems. And I think that if that's, if that's not enough to wake people up in our area, it should be. And, and I don't know what it would take at that point for people to click like, oh, maybe, maybe things are really bad. Our entire economy is in jeopardy. And a lot of people say, well, Houston has decoupled from oil and we have the medical center or whatever. I don't remember. I did the math on how many people are actually employed in the medical center. It's like less than 50,000. It's, it's like, it's like 25,000 people, if I remember correctly, are employed in the medical center or in medicine in the Houston area in general. It's not very many. And they don't service that many people either. It's, it's less people than you think. The majority of people in our area are employed in oil, one way or another, upstream, midstream, downstream. It doesn't matter. They're employed in oil and everything functions to service that industry and, and, and service the people who work in that industry. So if we're having problems in that industry, it's, it's pretty bad. Yeah, and that's from from a local standpoint. I mean, that's where you're you are affiliated some way, shape, or form from the chemical plants out of Tech City or the or the refineries. And uh, even even uh, we'll take it one step further. So Houston is uh, medical. How many elective surgeries are not happening? You're seeing people getting laid off there as well. That's a good point. Even even the so-called backup economy in Houston is, is really suffering right now. Yeah. And it's, it's definitely been felt, um, on a local standpoint, you can make a joke, but you can tell when people were needing money by the activity on Facebook marketplace. Right. And it's, you know, how many motorcycles and boats are for sale and how great of a deal you can get or how many guns that you can pick up on, on the cheap. If you just advertise, letting somebody know that you'll buy guns for cash, and it's it's bad right now. I mean, it. We were getting our getting our feet back under us. Uh, I've been blessed with my company; we have plenty of work. But there's a lot of people out there that were just getting their feet back, and now we're hitting with this second round, guys. And um, I don't know what the trend is, uh, Sal. As far as I think it's the election cycle. Take out the COVID, but now even that is COVID going away. Is it gonna? Is it gonna now be your secondary flu? I, I don't know. We even see the the chart that was recently released by Harris County um, Commissioner Lena Hidalgo. It looks like the terrorism chart. Looks like the DEFCON chart, where it's green for you know all things normal, resume normal activity. Yellow is moderate you know, social distance, all that stuff. And it goes all the way to severe and red. And that's where they are now. Houston is under this red pseudo stay home orders because the governor is not allowing her to do stay at home orders officially. We're in the, the Houston is in the red. Um, I see that. And I think to myself, they're never going back to green. You don't make a chart like that to get back to green. It's to keep people in the yellow, orange and red. Yeah, it reminds me of the the terrorism mm-hmm. alert or whatever the terror alert warning or whatever we had back in the early aughts. It was just like ridiculous and nobody knew what to make of it ever. Yeah. Because we're always heightened. We're always, you know, in some sort of moderate danger. So I mean, you keep people in that paralyzed state long enough, they get complacent, right? Like I go to the airport now and just I don't even think about, you know, jihadis 
taking over the plane. It's just, I take off my shoes, I go through the scanner, get on the plane and I'm good to go. You know, where are we two years from now? And we've talked about this on the show that this wasn't going to be over in June. Like so many people were like, ah, this will be done by June. You know, maybe August we'll be pushing it. We're like, guys, June is like when we should start thinking about what we're doing next year. It's yeah. like, we're, we're still there. Oh, oh it, could, it could have been, it's sad. It's like, we've talked about this. It, it could have been over then. And it just, it just wasn't for whatever reason. Um, Americans they, won't be locked down. I mean, that's our greatest strength and our greatest weakness is our independent mindedness. Well, we were already locked down back then. But the point was what we were talking about then is it, it you know, if we thought it was a bioweapon and we were doing, we're initiating this COG protocol, then let's, let's do it for real. Uh, and, and now you don't really hear anything about, you know, China causing all of this. I haven't and, heard anything you know, about China. Potentially being a bioweapon and all that stuff. And, you know, Eric Weinstein brought up a good point. I mean, this thing spreads really easily indoors, but not so easily outdoors. But it, it's supposed to come from animals that live in the wild, right? And live outside. Mm-hmm. And yeah, but that transmitted to people. You know, like, that's a strange thing. So, you know, they, they all this talk, talk, all this tough, tough talk, it's all, it's all gone. And we didn't make the hard decisions then. And so now we're playing, they just play kick the can all the time. That's just sure. kick the can down the road and it'll be somebody else's problem or it'll be a problem for a different election cycle. It, it's getting old. And it's, that's where, okay, so now your conspiracies, right? And was it made yeah. in the lab? And um, now that the government has the power, they won't give it back and all that good stuff. You know, I would say the only only thing that is to our advantage right now is is plenty of hand sanitizer and masks out there. That would be the really only difference of what our starting point is. What I think is it, we're I think we're going back into a second wave of this. And well, then you hear that we're still in the first wave. We're okay. We're in our first wave. So then, why aren't people using the hand sanitizer? I don't know. I talked to Sal about this, you know, it's like, I, I, I don't think like, what, what did I say like a couple or a week ago, Sal, about government control? And like, I didn't think that they actually had any control whatsoever. Like, it's very obvious that they don't have control over anything, right? right. And you just, you can look at the civil unrest and this whole, it's an underlying government conspiracy and, you know, it's a conspiracy to take your rights away or whatever. If you think that this government that deploys National Guard troops to take care of civil unrest and insurrection that end up doing Macarena with the rioters or whatever, if you think that that government's capable of like tyranny at this point, I think you're I think you're mistaken. I actually I think I think that's scarier too. Like I think it's actually scarier that the government may the control they have may be illusionary. Yeah, like they they, they don't actually have things under control. They can't even get you to wear a damn mask. You know, they they can't uh, provide hand sanitizer. They can't open parts of the economy. They can't put down an active insurrection within our borders by, you know, Marxists, by, by self-declared Marxist terrorists. They can't even do that. Like, I, I think that we need to, like, get our heads around maybe, maybe they don't actually have the capability to institute tyranny. And that's actually worse than them having that ability and just anybody being can take over because <laughs> anybody, yeah, there's a power vacuum and you know, like what we're seeing 
with uh, this iconoclastic movement, that's what it is. People think, oh, it's this or that. No, it's it's iconoclastic. They're trying to take down cultural icons intentionally. It's, it's year zero programming. It's just like the last Bolshevik revolution. But even the Bolsheviks didn't do that as well as what is happening now. And let's be real, like the government actually doesn't want any of these statues up either. They don't want any of that stuff up. They can say they do, but they actually don't because it, it holds on to an American heritage and ideology that they want gone. Because how can they make you good consumer stooges if you still hold on to this uh, ancestry and heritage that you've inherited? You, you just can't. And well, they're so going to they, take John Wayne's name off the airport. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's like the most absurd crap on the planet. And to go back to what you were saying, like how we all got in, into, you know, preparedness. You know, I, I was a cop when this happened the first time, just five years ago. And I had been in for a while at that point. And I was like, you know what? I saw the writing on the wall and I was like, this isn't going away. Cops were being assassinated then. It's a really bad time uh, to be a cop, uh, much like it is now. And I said, hey, this isn't going away. And I saw a turning point in the mind of Americans and, and fellow citizens in a way I, I hadn't before, where in, in their own minds, the most important thing was not the nation or, you know, their family or whatever. It was just how they felt in the moment. I don't know how to describe it. It was really weird. But it was like a very selfish, narcissistic, and self-destructing or self-destructive thing, and it was really centered out of this weird hatred for others, and then a self-loathing that I couldn't really describe. And I was like, "This is a very sick uh, nation at this point. It's it's unhealthy, and it, and it just isn't going to continue." And people laughed at me when I said that back then. I said, "I'm getting out of law enforcement." They're like, "Oh, you'll never get out. You'll be back," you know. Uh, this is, you know, this happens and things will go back to normal. I was like, I don't think this happens often. I've never seen this happen in my life at that point. The LA riots maybe, but that was isolated. You were seeing this nationwide. We never seen anything like that in our lifetimes. And the violence coming out of these episodes are escalating every time they occur. It's not like the riots back in the 60s, which had some legitimacy to them. Uh, and weren't as violent, you know, the, a lot of the violence came from cops and national guard. Then, you know, it didn't necessarily come from the protesters. There was violence then, but it, was, it wasn't like now, but like, this is, this is ridiculous. This is, this is like beyond Thunderdome type crap going on. And yeah. so that just kind of shocked me out of my, Oh, I got to work every day and this is my routine. And even though my job is extremely dangerous, I just don't pay attention to it. it really shocked me out of it. And I could never really, once I woke up to it, and once I was, if you want to say, red-pilled on the, the issues plaguing the nation, um, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't unsee those things, you know? And so it just changed me, and I just started preparing here and there little bits, and now I'm pretty well off. I don't have any problems, but, but I wanted to go back to that because I, I think that that's important. I think we're being we are the frog in the boiling water. And the stuff that we're seeing is so bizarre and so jacked up. No one's seen this stuff in American history. This is, this is like end game stuff right here. None of it makes sense. I mean, Eskimo pie is now racist and 
L'Oreal is changing things that say whitening and lightening and, and just the absurdity. Like, how are you going to be offended by Aunt Jemima today? But yesterday it was not a big deal. And then you got people from their family coming out of the woodwork saying, uh, hello, that's our brand. And then the people that are supposed to defend us, the conservatives, they just made it legal for, and look, I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to be hateful or like condemn people, although I don't support this ideology necessarily. You know, they're, they're, they're making it legal and illegal to fire trans people that teach your kid at school. I'm sorry. I don't want my kid to be taught by somebody that looks like a drag queen, you know, or even if they're a really, you know, passable trans person. I don't want them telling my kid that that's not healthy. That's not healthy for my kid to grow up with this idea that body dysmorphia and self-destructive behavior is a good thing. And people can say, Oh, you're a bigot and this and that. I, I don't care, man. Hey, you, you don't have kids obviously. And if you have kids and you're okay with your kids accepting that crap as a norm, you're, you, you need to like really question the type of environment that you're raising your kids in and, and how they're going to turn out. Well, even the but, ACLU tweeted out that they're not stopping until that there's legislative civil rights, blah, 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 for trans people to have abortions. Like what? Yeah, all that. yeah and, 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 and they're, they're not going to stop there. Everybody's like, you know, people, you know, old timers used to say, well, the end goal is to legalize pedophilia. And these are really old timers used to say stuff like that. And it was like, that sounded really bizarre. Maybe they knew something because that was immediately once the trans recognition got started. Now it's, it's pedo crap, you know, what in the hell, you know, like, yeah, there you go. But, but like, what, what is the, what type of environment are are we providing for our kids? Like the whole point of a nation is to put some lines on a map, say certain people can come in, certain people cannot. These are our norms and cultural standards here. This is the security we provide in order to have prosperous families and to reproduce our people and spread our idea of freedom and democracy, you know, throughout the world or whatever, you know, these are these grandiose ideas, but like we're not even fulfilling the basic prime directives of Americanism anymore. Like, it's just dead. Well, you guys hit on it the other day with the whole fatherless. I think that's a, a, a big key to it all is not having the father in the home. And we won't beat that up because you guys did a pretty good job on it the other day. By the way, I, I really like that episode. Thank Thanks, man. Uh, but I, I do. I think that um, the family um, and coming from a guy who's a single parent, um, it's hard, man. It's it's hard to do it by yourself. And, you know, for instance, my daughter, um, I had to have the talk with her about having her period and, and what it's like, to, what happens when you become a woman and the transition. And that was a hard thing to do as a man. Um, and to buy her the little bag, a prep bag for school with panties and, and um, tampons and all that good stuff. And it's a, that's something I really shouldn't have to do, right? But you have to step in and do it as a parent if you care. And there's a lot of families out there that doesn't have a father. Um, I've had to do both, whatever, it's my job, but it definitely was uncomfortable. And there are some families out there that just don't have parents that care. Or have I have a daughter, and I I can't imagine having to have that talk by myself. That's that's pretty powerful. That's that's good for you, man. Uh, it was tough, I, but 
I've got some friends, their wives helped and in, in here and there with it. So help me prepare. It was interesting. <laughs> but, you know, uh, back to prepared, you know, a, a big thing that I do believe uh, I'm going to I'm going to start publishing a little list and some pictures of my first aid kit. By no means am I um, a professional. The most training I had was combat lifesaver in the Army. And that basically is learning how to triage battlefield wounds, right? But you can parlay that into emergencies in the civilian world. And uh, for me, you know, riots are happening. Chaz gets set up in your local town. You can't get to a hospital. You live out in the country. Uh, Even here, you know, with traffic on a bad day, um, the nearest hospital is 45 minutes to an hour away with traffic. And so, and that's in the city. Uh, First aid is a skill, and it's something that a lot of people need to really, uh, me personally, I believe, need to to practice. And you can practice it. Um, One of the great, uh, is Army Field Manual on first aid. You can get it off at Amazon for like eight bucks. Wealth of knowledge. Um, You can actually get it on a PDF. I'll send you guys the PDF. Um, Thank you. You know, that you can have and keep it on your phone. Uh, But honestly, first aid is one of those deals that is is just as important to me, if not more, than making sure I have protection. Uh, So you got to be prepared. Another thing. Fire extinguishers. Do you guys have fire extinguishers in the house? You got to have them. I keep three of them in the house. Um, I don't know. That's just a sad, sad bar. I was looking at mine a minute ago and saw it. And, you know, that's something that you should have. Um, I don't know. Nowadays, with 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 everything going on, I don't uh, I don't trust that that firemen or police can get here in a, in a timely manner anymore. You just don't know. So something that I, I'm kind of interested in and passionate about is, is something called open source intelligence. Um, and I'm not going to go into what that is, but one of the, one of the problems with open source intelligence today is it's getting lost in the noise, right? Like there's so much information out there that you become dumber every day because there's new information on that topic constantly being delivered and you're being pigeonholed into what it is that you're studying about. So as a percentage of the, the, the topic of study, you know, less and less as you know, each day goes on. So you like get dumber every day. Um, and, and it's hard to make sense of the noise. That's a problem right now too, with trying to figure out what's going on. It's something me and Sal had issues with when, Every time we try to do show prep, it's extremely difficult because of how much information is out there. It's, it's unreal. And we just get lost in the noise. I feel like, and I'm not trying to be negative, but I feel like if you weren't a prepper before this, before this instance, if, if you didn't have preps, it's going to be really hard for you to figure out what it is right now that you need to prepare for. Cause there's just so much to cover. So there's so many threats. There's so much to cover there. It's so difficult to just get the basic items you need to prep. I mean, when we had Zach on the show, yeah, when we had Zach uh, on the show for an American homestead, I mean, we touched on just the, you know, normal homesteady survival stuff. Right. And that's just one aspect of it. Like knowing your zone, just, 
what to plant, when to plant, how to plant. That's a skill on its own. Raising livestock, completely different mindset, completely different schedule, completely different, I mean, set of tools that you need. I mean, yeah, I mean, to to your point, if if you haven't started by now, that's not to say that good luck, you know, the ship has sailed. Start on something, though you know, focus on something yeah. and don't get so overwhelmed, right? To, to Gino's point, if, if first aid is something that you need to master, master first aid now. And especially when you have a large family or at least a few members in your family, let people specialize. That's why SEAL teams exist the way they do. You have specialists in the unit. That's your comms guy. You've got your medic. You've got your forward. You've got all of these different positions that have a specialized skill. You can all do something but you all have a specialized skill and you depend on that one person, but you're not beholden to that one person's skill. Something I would tell people listening, master just some basic topics, you know, water, fire, shelter, food, weapons, and then, you know, what I would call like tertiary logistics outside of that. Tiger King. You know, that would be comms. Do what? Tiger King. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Comms. Um, gadgets, doodads, things to make your life easier. That's all. I don't know. Me personally, you need to have some sort of communication set up. Primary day box. There's, when we're talking about. But there, there's a, yeah. I mean, that's a good point. I mean, and, and like, we just talked about like the weapons aspect of, of EMPs, but somebody left in the comments made a good point about CMEs and coronal mass ejection. And the fact that the, the sun, the sun is doing some trippy stuff. Um, if you look into it, it, that's actually not false. And, um, that's, that's like something that's really difficult. I I actually don't, I actually don't think if you haven't been preparing for, for very long, there's no way that you can actually prepare for an EMP. That's like an extinction level event. No, that's an extinction level event in this country at this point. And if you don't have stuff, you don't have the, the time or the ability to get ready for that. Sorry, I, the, I'm not saying the first, that that's imminent either. You're the first three chapters of one second after. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> cool, guys. I, I really appreciate uh, you spending time with us today, Gino. Um, I want to thank you awesome. and I want to, you know, praise you for your vulnerability to talk about some of the subjects that you talked about today. I, I want to show gratitude towards you for the time that you've spent with us. This is going to be one of our longest podcasts. So I'm so thankful that you spent time with us. Uh, I've missed hanging around you from our army days. I'm so glad that we got to have this virtual meeting. I can't wait for the next time that we get to sit around and just, you know, have a couple of drinks and shoot the shit and, uh, you know, talk about everything that's uh, going on in our lives. So I'm, I'm thankful that we got to catch up in this way. And I'm grateful that, um, you know, more people are getting attuned to preparedness mindset and being situationally aware and talking to their kids. I think that's hugely important. That's something that's definitely been lost in the fray is talking to the kids about this. Like they're just second class humans in our home that don't get what's going on. So why should we talk to them? I think you brought up some really great uh, information on how to talk to your kids. So thank you from the bottom of my heart again for joining us uh, on the podcast. Yeah. Thanks guys. I hope I had some valid input or anything that sounded decent. Uh, I appreciate it. Just, uh, it was fun, man. Yeah. And if anybody has any questions, I'm not an expert. I'll try to help out and what, what I do, uh, on a one-on-one. Um, and I can, if you got questions, I can find you some answers too. Where can people find you, Gino? Practice guys. Where can people find you? 
Uh, Facebook. Um, I'm not really in any any so other than Facebook right now. I guess cool. I need to I need to get into it, huh? Get a blog. Uh, <laughs> yeah, get 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 on the side with me, Sal, and help me set some stuff up for sure. <laughs> One question that we always uh, give our guests that you're familiar with our podcast. So you know that the next question that's coming up is if you had access to a billboard right now, what would be the message that you would give passerbys to help them be more mentally, physically, financially, maybe even spiritually prepared for what the future holds in this new normal? Uh, you know, take one day at a time, pay attention to what's going on around you. Don't listen to every meme that's out there and investigate and ask questions. It's great stuff. Gino, once again, thank you so much for joining us. We want to have you back on the show again. This is going to be a topic that just keeps coming up over the next few months. So this is, this is definitely an open conversation. Um, to the viewers on our Facebook Live, we want to thank you so much for watching. For our podcast listeners, you know how much we appreciate you. So please do leave us a review on iTunes. You can find us on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. Leave us a review on Facebook. We'd love to get your feedback on topics perhaps that you would like us to cover in the future. And as always, stay safe and welcome to the new normal.